0: This is Dr. Jimmy Nichols, equine nutritionist. On this podcast, we will explore unique cases, debunk popular myths, and break down advanced research data. Join me for a little fun, a lot of science, and some real-world advice for feeding horses. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Jimmy. Thank you for tuning in for episode 51 of Feed Room Chemist. And today's topic is titled The Dirty Truth About Hay. And I'm really excited to see that that title uh, encouraged you guys to click and listen to this particular episode. It it certainly got your attention. Um, And that was my intent. That is because the information in this episode is absolutely critical to horse health and it applies to every single horse out there that eats forage. Okay, so, you know, what I wanna talk about today. Um, has a lot to do with what that hay is really providing to your horse. And as I have mentioned many times in the past, the only way to know what is inside your hay, what that nutritional content of your hay is, is to actually have a forage analysis done and then read that analysis and have or have it interpreted by someone who understands how to read them. And so if I had titled this episode, How to Read a Forage Analysis, I have a feeling that it would be one of the lesser listened to episodes because it that just doesn't sound very exciting to most people, I don't think. Um, so I tried to put a title on here that would maybe encourage people to listen uh, because there are going to be some really cool tricks, some interesting tips. And then a fun personal story, um, an experiment that I did to kind of help prove this point to you guys. So let's get into the episode. So I think it's really important that people understand not all hay is created equal. Okay, so let's talk first about just the basic, you know, whether you're going the two types of haze. So the two types of haze, if you're gonna gonna feed long stem forage, and now I'm I'm not gonna get too much into like haylage and things like that, but I'm gonna talk just about grass hay and alfalfa hay. The main differences between those is that one's a grass and one's a legume. So alpha, alfalfa is a legume. And legumes are typically going to be a little bit higher in protein. They're also going to be higher in calcium than grasses. Um, And then the the proportion of leaf to stem, um, that's going to be different between the two of them as well. And that is part of what affects that nutritive value. Okay, so that's kind of the broad category that we first break out those forages into. Now, After that, there are a host of things that can actually influence the quality of the nutrition within that forage, whether we're talking about grass, hay, or alfalfa. Um, so, you know, I like to lean on research. I, I don't want you guys to just believe me because you think you should. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna cite some studies. Okay. So some researchers that have actually looked into the different things that influence forage quality. Okay. So we've got Van Soest in 94, uh, Kirkston and colleagues in 2000, and then Rotz in 2003 has all, all three of those studies, um, basically support the fact that, Forage quality is 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 influenced by management factors, um, particularly. Okay, you've got forage applications, the harvest techniques, and then the storage conditions. Okay, when I talk about harvest techniques, or when I say harvest techniques, um, that can be, uh, you know, was that was that forage? harvested and allowed to sun cure or dry out in the air. Um, There are some forages, especially in the alfalfa world where it is um, cut and then dehydrated. Okay, so there's different ways for uh, forages to cure the time at which that forage was harvested, that is probably the the most critical, okay? Um, Especially for us as horse owners, as we're going to the feed store or to a hay broker or to a local farmer and we're buying hay from them, the most critical thing to understand is how mature was that forage when it was harvested. And as horse owners, what we typically look for is, you know, just bright, green, pretty hay, right? The brighter, the greener, the cleaner, the better, right? We want to make sure there's no weeds in it. We want to make sure that, you know, it's free of blister beetles or trash or um, any other kind of foreign debris, right? We want it to be really clean, really pure. Um, We want the stems to be really fine, very soft. So if you were to um, reach into the middle of a bale and pull out a handful and crush it in your hand and your palm, we don't want it to be really pokey. Okay, so it should, um, you know, it should feel soft and supple in our hands. Those are all signs that we can use just with our own touch, our own feel, um, even the aroma of it, the smell of it. Okay, if you break open a bale and you stick your nose and you take a big whiff, right? You should not <laughs> be inhaling dust or mold spores or particles. Um, one of my favorite things is to break open a bale, um, early in the morning when the sun is shining through the barn and you, you know how, when the sun shines, you can pretty much see every particle in the air, right? When you break open a new bale of hay, you don't want to see the air become filled with a bunch of, you know, cloudiness. Um, sometimes you can only see that, especially in the really subtle stuff. You can only see that in that morning, uh, sunlight, that ray of sunlight that comes through, Uh, So those are little things that we always, um, you know, as good horse owners, we're paying attention to. I'm here to tell you that's not enough, okay? And I thought that the best way to kind of convince you guys of this would be for me to do a little bit of a um, rundown or a case study situation that I did on myself. So I... um, have some current hay, I'm about out. And as a nutritionist, I understand how important it is to not just all of a sudden switch from one load of hay to another abruptly. Okay. Um, so, you know, for, for, um, the sake of the horse, okay. Um, transitions in hay need to happen slowly. Okay. So horses just the same way, if you are going to switch to an, a new grain, you would do that slowly over a period of, you know, say 10 to 14 days, right? By transitioning, you know, taking out the old, putting in the new and working the horse into that. Well, too often we forget that we actually need to do that same thing with our hay. Um, the hay is actually a way larger portion of that horse's diet. So we need to make sure that that we're being um, very mindful that we aren't just completely changing that diet up all of a sudden. So just because I was feeding, let's say, Bermuda grass hay to begin with. I can't just go get another Bermuda grass hay and expect it to be the same. Okay. And horses actually take time to adjust. Um, It's like, I think there's like a, so there's, there are quite a few different studies on it. Um, So one in particular actually showed that a change in hay Um, It basically within that two-week period after you make a change in hay, that can increase the risk of colic between uh, five and ten times, okay? So there's other studies that show that it actually takes up to three weeks for the horse to completely adjust, um, and and when I say the horse, what I really mean is that um, content of micro- microbes and microflora that live within the hind gut. Okay, so those are the the workhorses, if you will, within the horse's digestive system that have to adjust to that hay. Um, they are what's helping create these what are called VFAs or volatile fatty acids, which um, the body uses for energy. Um, so it's it's really um, you know think of the horse's hind gut, especially the cecum, kind of as like this big fermentation vat. And if you completely throw a new batch of hay on top of that, um, it can really disrupt the the synergies and the the functioning of the resident microbes and microflora. And so you those those microbes and microflora actually adjust to what the horse is eating. So if you again, if you change it really fast, um, then that horse is forced to change those populations to adjust to whatever the nuances are of that new particular feed. And so that is part of what takes those horses so long. It's not something that happens over the night. You know, the horse can't just completely make a microbial shift overnight, right? The research is showing us two to three weeks is how long it takes. And so within that two to three week period Because that horse is having to shift and adjust and change, that then in turn increases their chance of um, colic or their risk of colic. So, okay, back to my little case study point. So I have um, hay I'm about to run out. I know that I don't want to run completely out before I get my new batch. So I make sure that um, I keep about a two-week supply of my old hay on hand. I go last weekend to pick up some new hay and I show up, um, I'm actually, uh, sourcing this hay from a different supplier and, um, went physically to his place, saw the fields where the hay was being harvested from. Um, my, so my husband is, um, he runs cattle. Uh, he's, we've got a stalker operation and, um, he also is a, a, a cattle nutritionist. And so he's really big on making sure that, you know, the quality of the forage that he feeds to those calves as he's starting them because they're so high risk and it's 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 quite costly for us if one of them um, doesn't make it. So he's always very finely in tune to the quality of forage that goes into those um, new cattle. And so he had actually used this um, particular hay supplier. He was really happy with the hay and he just told me, hey, I think that you need to check this guy out for your horse. And, you know, they've got Separate hay that, you know, small squares for the horses, and they've got separate hay for the cattle, right? Big grounds. So I go look at the horse hay, I go look at the small squares this stuff looks gorgeous, right? I mean, it is green. It is fine stem, like soft stem, right? It is supple. Like it is completely clean. Um, The producer assures me that, you know, they um, get multiple cuttings off the same field and they fertilize between every cutting and they're very particular about the quality of it on and on and on. And I am just sold. I am super stoked. Because the hay that I happen to have in my barn right now, while it tested fantastic, it didn't look that pretty. It didn't look that great. And I just really like to feed hay that looks really pretty, right? Um, So I just cannot wait to get this new hay home. So I buy four bundles. Um, They're small squares. So for those of you that, that aren't familiar with buying bundles of hay, so a bundle of small squares is 21 bales. So one of my rules of thumb is I like to make sure that I buy at least a three-month supply of hay every single time. Because if, in all honesty, if you're going to go through the work of trying to transition horses over a two-week period from one hay to another and we know how sensitive that hind gut is, it's just a lot of work to go through all of that to only buy enough hay to last you for a month. (laughs) I mean, if you did that, you're basically, you have that horse in a constant state of change and shift, and they're constantly having to make those adjustments in the hindgut. And I don't want to make my horse have to work constantly to maintain that homeostasis within its hindgut, right? I want that hindgut to be as, uh, like, functioning top notch, right? Because the I've got other things that I want that horse's body to be focused on, right? Like I want a strong, healthy immune system. There's just, you know, I want to make sure that the body can, can, um, fight off, you know, inflammatory components. And I, you know, I don't, I just, I just don't want that horse to have to be adjusting all of the time to me changing its hay every four weeks. So, um, I buy a three month supply of the hay. So I've got four bundles and I bring them home and my husband helps me. We get them all unloaded. We get them into the hay barn. And I mean, they just look pretty and I'm happy. So the first thing I do, of course, is I go get my hay probe and I, I decided, okay, normally what I would do is I would take multiple samples with my hay probe from all, you know, from like basically 20 bales. So I would, you know, get maybe three or four samples out of each bale, or five samples out of each bale, out of each bundle, sorry. So I'd end up with 20 samples. Well, and then I would just add those together, like I'd make a composite out of it, and then I would send that to get tested. Well, instead, I thought, you know what? The the, the This hay producer told me that all of his horse hay, or these small squares, he's very um, particular about a certain region of the field where he harvests them. So the field is massive. I mean, so the, the, the field is in this like river bottom and it's huge and it's irrigated. And I mean, it like everything should be set up to make gorgeous hay, but still he takes that next step of, of caution. And he, he says, I don't put any of the hay, um, from the edges of the field into the horse hay stacks right? So he's only basically making sure his horse hay is coming from like the center of the field. So that tells me that, you know, well, that would tell any horse owner, at least, (laughs) that, you know, this guy is trying to make the most consistent hay possible for his horse customers. Now, the next thing he told me was that uh, his his grass hay typically tests around 15% protein. He actually said 15 to 17% protein. And that was my first red flag because grass hays typically don't test that high in protein. Even on a dry matter basis, it's kind of tough to get a grass hay to test 17% crude protein unless you've got some other things going on. So um, I was like, Mm, maybe he just got confused, right? I'm like, maybe he was thinking about some grass alfalfa mixes that he does. So I didn't think a ton of it um, because everything else checked the boxes, right? I I mean, I'm going to buy the hay regardless. I'm going to test the hay myself regardless. So it doesn't really matter what he tells me it's going to test at. Okay, so I test the hay. But instead of making that composite, what I do is I take um, samples out of each bundle. So I've basically got four different samples from four different bundles that supposedly all came out of the same area of the same field. And so in theory, one would expect every one of those uh, hay analysis reports to come back essentially identical. I mean, I get that there's nothing that's going to be identical when you're running lab reports. But I mean, I expected them all to be within a quarter of a percent to maybe half of a percent in protein. Okay. That's, so that was kind of what I expected. So I get the results back and one bundle tested at 6.9% protein. Yeah, I was really sad. Okay. The next bundle tested at 8.3% protein. That's a pretty big variation. Okay, that's that's almost a, a percent and a half, one and a half percent variation between those two bundles. Okay, the next two bundles both tested at seven and a half percent. Okay, so I've got a 6.9, an 8.3, and two 7.5 percent. Now that's all on an as-fed basis, okay? I, you know, it it was one of those situations where, like, the moment I got that back and I looked at it, I'm like, this is going to be a podcast episode. This is absolutely going to be a podcast episode because that 100% drives home the point that it doesn't matter where, I mean, that hay is not the same. Like, every batch of hay. So, this hay came off of the exact same field from the exact same vicinity within that field from the same producer, harvested on the exact same day right harvested by the exact same equipment stored in the exact same place tested on the exact same day labs were run on the exact same day i mean you couldn't get any more uniformity between these four bundles of bales but they all tested very different okay so now i've got a big range of um of between between these hay bales so After I get past the uh, disappointment that the hay tested way lower than I thought it was going to, and it tested tested only half of the, less than half of what, you know, the hay producer told me I should expect out of it, right? So that just goes to show, I don't know how many times I talk to people and they're like, oh, I get the hay, my hay from the same person. It comes off the same farm, you know, same guys always harvesting it, It comes off the same field. Therefore, you know, it's, it's the same. And so if anything ever comes up with the horse, like, you know, the horse is colicky or whatever, they always will say, oh, it's not the hay because the hay is exactly the same, right? The point in this exercise is to make sure that everyone understands the hay is not the same, even if it does come from the same farmer, the same field, the same vicinity, you get, you know, whatever. So we have got to test the hay to know what we're dealing with. Um, something else that I want to make sure you guys understand is I, I talked about these values as, um, as fed. Okay. When we are actually looking at nutrition for a horse, or if we're going to really fine tune and do a full ration, um, what we really want to look at is dry matter. Okay. So in each of those hays, um, it's pretty common for the moisture content in hay, um, to range, you know, a nine percent uh, moisture content would be a pretty dry hay. Um, all of these particular bales ranged between eleven um, percent moisture to eleven point nine percent moisture, and that's pretty common. You know, ten percent moisture. And and just keep in mind too, the longer that hay is stored, um, the the that moisture content will go down. Okay, so. Let's take those two. I've got two bundles of hay that both test 7.5% as fed. Well, does that mean that those hays have the exact same nutrition? Absolutely not. Okay. The moisture content in those two bundles was different. So one bundle has an 11% moisture, and the other bundle had an 11.4% moisture. Okay. So that means on a dry matter basis... Okay, So the the protein that, that that horse is actually consuming or the nutrition that that horse is actually consuming is actually better in one than it is the other. okay So y- basically what you do is you just you, you um, take like so it was seven and a half percent and my um, dry matter content, so let's say let's say my um, my hay test at seven and a half percent, and my dry matter content is 88 or 89%, right? So all you do is take 7.5 divided by um, 0.89. And then that'll give you the dry matter content of that protein, right? So so when I do it on a dry matter basis, one is actually 8.2% protein and one is actually 8.5% protein, okay? So one of them is actually better than the other, even though the as-fed is exactly the same between the two of them. I, that's... I. I get that that probably feels a little confusing (laughs) and I don't expect you guys necessarily to, um, you know, just like fully get your head wrapped around it. But what I want you guys to take home, the take home message here is that, you know, don't just look at as fed values, make sure that you pay attention to what that moisture content is in the hay that you are having sampled. Okay. If it's got a really high moisture content, just understand that you're going to have to feed more of that hay right? So for example, um, you know, I I mentioned uh, the term haylage earlier at the beginning of the episode. And what haylage is, is it's, it's basically um, hay that has, has a really, really high moisture content in it. Okay. So, so a lot of times haylage might, might be 50% moisture. Well, When we talk about what is the dry matter intake of a horse, what is the daily intake that a horse has to have, we like to use 2% as kind of our general rule of thumb. So let's say you have a 1,000 pound horse, 2% of his body weight is um, uh, 20, 20 pounds, okay? So we wanna make sure that 20 pounds of dry matter is what that horse is eating, okay? So let's say I'm feeding haylage that is 50% moisture and I go way up. Let's say I weigh up 10 pounds in the morning and I weigh up 10 pounds at night and I feed that to that horse. Well, half of that, if 50% of that is moisture, that means I'm only feeding five pounds of dry matter in the morning and five pounds of dry matter at night, which is a total of 10 pounds of dry matter per day. Okay. So even though the amount that I might weigh on a scale or what I feel lifting, right, is a whole 10 pounds at each feeding. The nutritive value, the dry matter intake for that horse is only half of that. Okay. So that's, that's why dry matter and as fed is so important to understand. Now in the horse world, we get by kind of easy because so much of what we feed is generally only has about a 10% moisture content in it anyway. and so there's just there's not as much um, variation if you will. And that goes for both your forages and for your your grains okay So that's that's why most people have been able to get by by just you know essentially figuring things on an as-fed basis and not worrying too much about dry matter. Um, But again, like if you were actually going to really fine-tune a horse's ration or work with a nutritionist who wanted to really fine-tune a horse's ration, um, we would certainly be working on dry matter basis. Okay, so back to my example. What am I going to do? I'm sitting here with two, basically a two-week supply of my old hay, which tests almost 12% protein on an as-fed basis or 13.2% on a dry matter basis. And then I'm sitting here with my new load that I know each bundle has a different amount, right? So one is 6.9%, one is 8.3%, and then two of them are 7.5%. Okay. Again, all on an as-fed basis. So what I'm going to do, what I have started doing is I'm taking the worst one, all right, which is, is the bundle that tests at 6.9% protein. And I am mixing that in with my old batch. Okay. So I'm going to do this for a period of two weeks. Um, so basically just roughly to give you guys an idea on that math, um, you know, the new batch is 6.9%, the old batch was 11.8% protein. So if you were to mix that 50, 50, that's basically going to make, you know, the daily, um, daily amount be around nine and a half percent crude protein, um, like 9.35 percent protein. So that is going to help my horses transition from that um, little bit more nutritious hay that they had been on, um, which by the way, was really good um, going through, you know, kind of like that you know, the winter months, right? Early in the winter. And so this new hay that I purchased is what's going to help move me into the spring months. And it's also going to be part of what's what I'm going to use as I start to transition my horses out onto pasture um, as well. So um, I (laughs) now, if I was a performance horse operation, and I ended up with, you know, 7% crude protein hay, I'd be pretty disappointed, right? Because that is really low for a performance horse. Now, my horses, in case you guys haven't figured it out, we're not exactly uh, doing any kind of major events, right? There, I'm lucky if I get them rid for ridden four days a week, um, and the riding is is pretty casual and pretty light. So, you know, I would almost consider my horses a little bit more. I would consider them more. As a maintenance horse, as far as nutrition requirements go, I would consider them closer to maintenance than I would performance. And so, with maintenance horses, um, as long as your hay is testing between seven to eight percent crude protein, um, that's kind of a good, just like gut check that the quality of the hay is going to be appropriate enough. Now, I'm going to be a little bit light because I do ride my horses, and that that especially that one that tested six point nine percent that is too low. But, um, lucky for me, I know some good feeds and I always am looking for an excuse to feed them. So <laughs> I've got, you know, each horse on a, on a different thing. Um, and I, and I want to be able to feed those things for, you know, for my mare, for example, she, um, she struggles a little bit with digestive health, right? She is a little bit, um, she gets kind of nervous and she gets anxious easily. Um, and and she's young and she's new to training and riding and all of that. And so that brings a little bit of stress and a little bit of anxiety to any horse. And so I like to keep my mare on Pro ProCare because it has components built into it to address foregut, to address hindgut, and then also to help prevent the whole leaky gut syndrome scenario. So I really like to keep her on that feed. And then the rest of my horses are just all old guys. And so I basically have them on Intensify Senior Therapy. Um, And then I, just because I can't help myself, (laughs) I like to play with different feeds um, from the Blue Bonnet Feeds line, just because, you know, so if I'm going to formulate feed for people and recommend feed for people, I want to make sure that I've got experience feeding and using it myself. Um, and so it's not uncommon for me to uh, transition a, a few of my horses back and forth between different lines and and different products, and maybe keep them on something for four or five, six months or a year, and then maybe try something else for a while. Um, obviously, I'm not doing that, you know, like every other load or every other week or anything but um i like to play with the different feeds and especially for for some of the horses that um maybe are a little bit more resilient or don't get used as much <laughs> on my place so like ie my husband's horse um he kind of becomes a guinea pig for a lot of stuff so um anyway so i want to be able to feed some feed to these horses so the fact that my hay is a little bit light on some of the nutrition um that doesn't bother me the other thing that doesn't bother me about the situation is i would way rather have to feed just a little bit more hay, right? So if my target was to feed 20 pounds of hay a day, um, if I've got hay that tests a little bit light, then, you know, and when I say a little bit light, meaning a little bit low in protein, maybe a little bit higher in the non-digestible components, then one of the easy fixes for that, especially if you're just on the border, is to feed just a little bit more of it, right? So instead of feeding 20 pounds a day, maybe I feed 22 pounds a day or 24 pounds a day. That still puts me within that, you know, 2.2 to 2.4 um, percent range of dry matter intake. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Horses are designed to eat continuously throughout the day. And so that does nothing but help them as far as their, their mental health, their digestive health. Um, just there's a lot of benefit to that. So you know, while I was really disappointed that my eyes weren't good at um, identifying really good quality hay, um, it's it's not all bad. And and I'm not disappointed at it, about it at all. But I am definitely going to be very conscious about making this transition and doing it slowly over this two week period and making darn sure that I'm paying attention to my horses and that, you know, I just need to be on high alert, basically, for the next, you know, three weeks, basically. Um, To make sure that they are making that transition fine and we're not having any problems. And then the other thing I want to do is just make sure visually that, um, you know, that I am making adjustments on the, the feed side of it, the grain side of it. Okay. So like with my mare, I, I basically was feeding about four and a half, maybe five pounds of day. I might have to bump that up to five and a half or maybe six pounds because this new load of hay is quite a bit lower quality than the hay that I was feeding before. So these are all things that I'm going to keep in mind um, about this new hay batch most people, if, or or any person who doesn't test their hay, would never have known all of this stuff. Okay. And so they would have never known that they may need to increase the amount of grain a little bit. They'd have never known that maybe they need to throw an extra flake of hay every 24 hours. You know, they would have, they would have just assumed that because the hay came from the same producer, the same field, the same whatever, that it's exactly as good a quality as whatever they were feeding before. And so I think that that's one of the things that, you know, like the the equine feed industry in general, <laughs> we get blamed anytime anything goes wrong with the horse. It's like horse colic, grain's fault. Horse losing weight, grain's fault. Horse getting fat, grain's fault. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like, it's it just feels like this constant record of anytime anything goes wrong with the horse, everybody calls and they want to say that it's the grain. Well, the reality is, is that the grain accounts for like half of a percent of what the horse eats in a day. So, you know, but nobody's testing their hay. Nobody even knows what's going on with their hay. They're not making these slow transitions. They're not buying in large quantities. They're not, you know, they're just completely ignorant to what is going on with the forage. And the forage is the the biggest portion of that horse's diet. Therefore, it can make the biggest impact. So in a situation like this, had I not tested and I went from feeding a 12% protein hay to feeding a 6.9 percent protein hay and if i fed that at exactly the same rate every day that i was before and i fed the exact same amount of grain guess what i can guarantee you that my body condition of my horses is going to decrease okay and it's doing that simply because of the change in that hay i hope that makes sense so let's say you um you do want to test your hay um, where do you send it uh, my favorite lab is Equa Analytical out of Ithaca, New York. And you can find them, if you go online, uh, their website is equa-analytical.com. And um, they've got all the information on there. They, they'll show you, you know, all of the testing packages and everything that you can um, get. And so you basically um, want to make sure that when you sample, you take a representative sample, okay? So take, if you're going to... Um, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 different, you know, depending how much hay you've got um, or how, you know, like how much of a composite you want to do, uh, make sure you're taking from a lot of different bales, right? Don't just go pull a sample from one bale and send that off because guess what? You get results for that one bale, right? And that doesn't do us a lot of good. Um, So as I'm, I hope you guys are understanding the quality of that hay can change based on where that bale was in the field, okay? So that's why we ask people to take samples from multiple bales, mix them together, and then send that off to be analyzed so that we get a good average of what that particular load of hay is. When you get the results back, um, I believe Equaanalytical actually has um, some good resources around, you know, what each thing means, what the typical ranges are for grass hays and alfalfas um in fact i think they even have a um like a average of all grass hayes and an average of all alfalfa hayes within a certain time period um so i think a, i don't know it was like a maybe a 3 year 4 year time period where it tells you kind of like what the average of all of the samples that they received and so that those kind of things will just give you an idea of like what normal is for a hay um the things that I look for. So one, I look at protein just because that's a pretty quick measure of when that forage was harvested, right? So the higher the protein, um, the the younger it was when it was harvested. Uh, Protein's also going to tell me whether that's a legume or a grass hay, right? So, you know, you're never going to see a grass hay test 21% protein. That, I mean, that just doesn't work. Like grass hays don't get that high. So that if I ever see a forage analysis come through that's 21% protein, that tells me that that was clearly a legume or an alfalfa or has lots of clover in it, something like that. If I see a forage analysis come through and it tests at six percent protein, okay, pretty confident that's a grass hay, right? Because uh, your legumes, your alfalfa, it's it'd be pretty difficult to get one to test that low in protein. That's just not how it's designed. Um, so that 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 kind of is like the gut check. That's what I use to kind of center myself on what type of forage it is, and then what um what, how, how old it was when it was harvested. So basically the earlier that hay is cut, um, the more nutritious it's going to be. Okay. So if any of you have the luxury of cutting your own hay, it's really important to try to, um, keep the timeframe between cuttings as narrow as possible. Um, Now, I get that there's a fine balance between yield, okay? So the longer you let it grow, the bigger it gets, meaning the more bales you get off of the field, yes. (laughs) But the longer you let it go, the more bales you get, the less nutrition you're going to get out of that hay. So just keep that in mind. The next thing that I look at is um, the, the ADF and the NDF fiber contents. So that stands for acid detergent fiber and neutral detergent fiber, And that basically is, um, those are, those are numbers are basically ways to determine the, um, digestibility essentially of that hay. Um, it helps give us an idea of what that total intake level can be. Okay. So for example, the higher the NDF goes, the, the, the more indigestible Uh, fiber there is in it. Okay. So when I say indigestible fiber, I'm talking mainly about lignin. Lignin is basically the structural part of the plant that as the plant matures, lignin content increases and horses can't digest or use lignin. Okay. So lignin creates that bulky fill, right? So sometimes I, I have a lot of people ask me about hay bellies. Um, you know, so one thing to keep in mind: it. Let's say your horse is out, you know, on like a, a round bale, and they just get twenty-four-seven access. And someone says, "Hey, my horses have hay bellies, and I I can't figure out why." Well, that's a that can be a two-factor thing. So one is a horse out on a round bale with like, you know, free access to <laughs> eat as much as he wants um, can actually eat quite a lot. Like they can easily eat up to or over 3% of their body weight. Okay. So that's, that's a lot of, of fill, a lot of bulk, a lot of hay that's going through their digestive tract. Um, the second thing that can happen is if that hay has a really high lignin content, that means that there's a certain portion of that that's just completely indigestible. And so it's going to be bulk. It's going to be fill. It's going to fill that horse. It's going to fill their digestive tract. And that can actually cause some of that um, hay belly appearance, right? They can't digest it. So it's just this bulky fill that kind of sits in there and just has to get pushed along the digestive tract constantly until it ends up in, you know, out the back end and on the ground. So the ADF and NDF are definitely things that I pay attention to. Um, you know, the, I guess on that note, so there, there are a lot of people that have, um, you know, horses out on uh, round bales, you know, maybe you've got a couple, a round bale splitting, you know, between two pens or three pens or something and a horse is all share it or multiple horses within one pen sharing, you know, one round bale there, there's a couple things, I guess I just want to give you guys some tips. (laughs) So one thing that I really like to do in that situation is if it's at all possible, um, cover that, like have that round bale under some kind of cover, if you will. Um, there are a lot of feeders out there now that are actually built to where the top of it is covered. And so that keeps, especially if you live in an area where it rains a lot, um, you know, we don't want that round bale to get rained on, and then that moisture to sit in there in that round bale. Um, you know, a couple of things happen. One, as water moves across and through hay, it leaches some of that nutrition with it. Okay, so it can pull vitamins out. Um, it actually will pull some sugars out. Which, if you have sugar sensitive horses, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> um, the other thing that that can happen is. Um, you know, this like, hang on. I kind of lost my train of thought for just a second. Hang on. Bear with me guys. I may or may not edit this part out. Okay. I'm back. (laughs) So the, um, The other thing that can happen is those horses can, they create a lot of waste, right? So I don't know if you've ever experienced horses at a round bale, but it's like they pull hay out and then some of it falls on the ground and then they stomp on it. And they they take their nose and they flip through it and they dig. And I mean, it's just like they make a, a flat mess around that hay bale. And so there's a ton of waste that typically occurs when you're feeding horses on round bales. And so one thing that I really, really recommend to people often is to use a slow feeder hay net that's designed for big round bales, right? Um, Like, so one of my favorite, or the one that I personally use is one called Hay Chicks, Um, I I actually don't have any horses on round bales at the moment, but, um, when I do, you know, I like to throw that hay chicks net over the top of them. It cinches down, make sure that you put the bale, you know, I like to make sure that the bale is in a feeder so that horses, um, especially horses with shoes on, can't like paw at the net and get their shoes stuck in the net. That would be a disaster. Um, so make sure you practice safety first. But that, that does a couple things. One, it actually reduces the wastage of that hay. So um, there was a study that was done at the University of Minnesota that was done using those hay nets. Um, and the amount of hay that um, we were able, or that, that the researchers were able to prevent from being wasted or trampled um, was, was very significant. Um, I can't remember those numbers off the top of my head, but I, I mean, i feel like it was maybe in that 50% range. I'll double check that and then drop it in the show notes. Um, But it's pretty significant. So if you're talking about, you know, money, (laughs) any hay that's in the ground, trampled, stomped is wasted dollars, wasted money. And so I hate to see hay being trampled into the ground. And so those hay nets are a good way to keep that hay contained. And the second thing that it does is it slows that eating rate down. Right? So like I had mentioned before, if you've got a horse that is on just full access 24 seven to a round bale, and there's no sm- slow feeder hay net over it, there's nothing restricting how much they eat in that day. So they, I mean, they they literally could be eating 30 to 35 pounds of, of hay a day. That is a lot of hay to be putting in a belly. And that for sure is going to lead to some hay belly look, no matter you know what that lignin content or indigestible content is. So if you put that slow feeder hay net on there, then that horse has to work a little bit harder to get that hay pulled out before they eat it. And so they think that they're eating all day long, but the amount that they physically consume is going to be closer to what their normal 2% of body weight um, intake would be. So that's kind of my two cents there when people talk about, you know, hay belly, how do I manage it? What's causing it? Um, and then anytime people, you know, are wanting to use round bales as an option for horses. Um, so the, um, let's see. So another thing that I look at when when I get a hay analysis back, I, I like to look at um, the calcium and phosphorus ratio. So in the horse's total diet, right, you want there to be at least twice as much calcium as there is phosphorus. And so with alfalfa, that's pretty much never a problem because alfalfa is naturally high in calcium. However, with grass hays, your calcium and phosphorus can actually be almost one-to-one, all right? So in that case, if I've got a grass hay that comes back, and let's say it's, you know, uh, 0.3% calcium and 0.25% phosphorus, for example, I mean, that's almost a one-to-one ratio. So that means I need to supplement that hay with either a grain that provides some more calcium, or I need to supplement with a diet balancer or some kind of vitamin and mineral that will help get that ratio into check. So basically, increase the amount of calcium. Um, you know in general the the macronutrients or the macro minerals I'm sorry so when i say macro minerals i'm talking about the um you know like calcium phosphorus potassium magnesium like those things are almost always going to hit um in in plenty plenty you know good supply good adequate like forage is just going to contain enough of those things um with the exception of salt okay so you always are going to have to always supplement salt um to horses Forage is never going to have enough uh, sodium or chloride. Now, where forage is going to always lack is going to be in your trace minerals. So especially uh, copper and zinc. Okay, so I have yet to find a forage that supplies enough copper and enough zinc to meet the requirements of a horse. So that's why when you have horses even, that are on just a forage-only diet, they, that's why they still need a diet balancer, or a vitamin and mineral supplement to help balance those trace minerals that are always going to be lacking in a forage. And then kind of the last place that I look just in the general overview when I'm looking at an analysis is the starch and sugar content, what that total NSC level is. Um, if I've got a horse that has sugar sensitivities, um, maybe it's predisposed to metabolic conditions, maybe it's just an ultra easy keeper, uh, maybe has insulin resistance or Cushing's or, you know, uh, very prone to laminitis or founder, any of those kind of things, you know, I'm really going to want to make sure that my hay is like 10% or less non-structural carbohydrates. And so NSC or non-structural carbohydrates is basically adding starch and sugar together. Okay. So uh, if I've got a horse that, you know, is maybe a little bit harder keeper, has none of those sensitivities, and let's say I get a total NSC or a starch plus sugar, come back at, you know, 12, 13, 14%, I'm not going to be quite as worried about that. Um, I will keep in the back of my mind, though, that the effect of that hay is going to be very different. Than say another grass hay that tests or that has only six percent or seven percent non structural carbohydrates, right? Because that sugar, that starch, that is energy, that is calories, that is that can affect the horse's body differently. So, again, you know, going back to this testing and knowing what you're feeding, not all grass hays are the same. So, grass hays from uh, northern regions or or hay, grass hays that are have more um, uh, cool, cool cool season grasses in them, those are typically going to test higher in sugars than your warm season grasses. So if I've got, you know, let's say I've got hay that, um, is coming from somebody in the North and there's like a lot of, you know, Timothy and orchard and brome and, you know, these different types of grasses, um, it's not going to be unusual for those to be 14 or 15% NSC. If I've got hay that's coming from, you know, Texas, um, Oklahoma, Florida—you know, Bermuda grass type hay—it's not uncommon for those hays. In fact, it's quite usual for those hays to to only test, you know, seven percent NSC, eight percent NSC. So, I mean, it literally can be half the rate. So, just because, again, just because you're feeding grass hay, not all grass hay is equal. Is it is it coastal? You know, is it cool season grasses? Is it warm season grasses? Um, And again, a hay analysis can tell us all of this wonderful, fantastic information. Okay. I feel like I've gotten really windy on this episode, so I'm going to wrap it up. I promise. Um, Again, Equaanalytical is where I recommend that you get your Forge analysis done. Uh, If you need help interpreting your analysis, Blue Bonnet Feeds offers the free virtual nutrition consults. Okay. There's a team of nutritionists um, that are ready and willing to help walk you through, you know, what that analysis means for you um, and give you just ideas of where the gaps are, what you need to look for um, to fill those gaps and basically just help you work through your horse's program because, you know, not, not everybody went to school to become a nutritionist and nutrition is a very complex, um, I mean, it's a science, right? And it's it, it would be unrealistic to expect everybody to just innately know how to read a forage analysis or how to balance a diet. So just know that that team is available um, and you can get there by going to bluebonnetfeeds.com, click on the resources tab, and then click on the link that says nutrition consults. So if this episode was at all helpful, um, I would love it if you guys would give it a rating. Uh, make sure that you subscribe. If you haven't actually subscribed to Feed Room Chemist, please do that. And then I would love it if you guys would share it on your favorite social media platforms and use the hashtag Feed Room Chemist. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Feed Room Chemist. If you like what you hear, be sure to share with your friends, post to social media, or give us a review. And as Winston Churchill used to say, no hour of life is wasted that is spent in the saddle. So go saddle up.